Ignite your curiosity with Austin next. We're watching Austin transform from a thriving ecosystem into a global superstar. With our host, Jason Scharf, we aspire to better comprehend the true nature of innovation. Together, we will uncover what makes a successful ecosystem and navigate the technologies shaping our future. Now let's dive into what's next. You might have heard that buzzword generative AI once or twice in the last year. Jokes aside, it is everywhere. And Austin is staking a claim in the space with our own unicorn, Jasper AI. Today, we're talking with Austin Distel, the Senior Director of Marketing for Jasper. Want to get beyond the hype, understand where Jasper fits in the tech stack, and how our ecosystem will play a role in this increasingly vital part of our innovation economy. Austin Distel is a local tech entrepreneur whose content is bookmarked by other entrepreneurs to learn how to build reoccurring income, from SaaS marketing to Airbnb tips. Jasper is a Y Combinator-backed startup, helping over 50,000 companies write amazing content with the help of AI. Austin, welcome to Austin Next. What's going on? Good to be here. I'm sure the uh, Austin living in Austin's never been happened to you before. <laughs> when I first moved here five years ago, that was certainly like how every Uber driver welcomed me into their cab. Uh, Austin from Austin, how long have you been here? And I uh, ended up trying to come up with a few punchlines, but they always fell short. All right, so generative AI has just slightly exploded into the mainstream over the last you know, couple of years and even more so over the last six months. We were at South By and it was absolutely everywhere, including the Jasper AI panel. So let's start with what is generative AI and is it different than the AI we've been talking about over the last you know, 15, 20 years? Yeah, it, it's interesting because we've all been using AI for most of our adult life. It's just been running in the background. It's what powers your Google Maps. It's what gets all your smart devices talking together. We all kind of take this background AI for granted. Yet, it wasn't until roughly three years ago that AI started to become entering the creative space and visual, language, imagery, and that's when it really caught our attention and our amusement as well. As you've seen, even this past winter, uh, Linza AI app, our whole Instagram feed was full of like weird AI generated selfies. I may have used the, the, the Linza app and my kids were having all sorts of fun with uh, picking out the pictures they liked the best. So yes, I, I've seen it. Yeah. You know, and, and that's what like for the first time ever, we've seen a new intelligence start to take commands from us and uh, solve some of these problems. And what's even more interesting is that AI has come for the work of a knowledge worker faster than the work of a manual worker. And we used to have this, you know, it was kind of a headline news that AI was coming for your jobs, but it was aimed towards the, the manual workers. And now today we can see like a lot of people are asking AI for advice and asking it to solve problems like accounting problems and finance and marketing. And so there's, it's just really interesting to see how fast that's happened as well, where information, knowledge has become the main talking point of AI. I knew there was a different moment. This was like two or three days ago. My uh, oldest, who's nine, was working on the Constitution. And we were talking about the 11th Amendment, which... I still don't fully understand what the, all the rest I can understand. The 11th is still a little bit uh, foggy to me. 
and he goes, Dad, just chat GPT it. And we actually were debating what age we should tell ChatGPT to explain it to. He's like, okay, I'm going to explain it to. Him. No, no, it's, it, have it explain it to an 11-year-old. That's, that's the level I want to understand it at. I'm like, okay, we're, we're in a different world now if that's his go-to way of thinking about it. Well, you know, I grew up in an age where we just Google it. And maybe this is the extension of that. We used to, you know, think how dumb it is that teachers didn't allow us to have calculators in class. Because we all knew it was on our iPhone in our pocket and that that was always going to be with us. And so there's kind of this like level of expectation that, you know, kids realize the tools that are already available and they're so used to using tools. You know, you give a, a kid an iPad and it, it naturally knows how to use it. Like That's crazy. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I think that we're more self-serving than ever. We don't like questions unanswered. And we, as a human species, are figuring out ways to solve it, whether through our own experience or by watching YouTube videos on figuring it out. And uh, that's what's really cool is I, I view AI as a way to consolidate or even quicken our time to result. I was just trying to figure out what TV to buy. And you know, rather than going and reading like five blog posts and all these YouTube videos, I can just really tell the AI what my specifications are, what my needs are, and then it gives me the best results because it's already read all of those articles. Right. So you said it, you know, in the last three years, it, it entered the creative kind of mainstream, right? So was it a technical thing that happened differently? Is this different than deep learning neural nets, GANs? Is that what happened? Or is this just really the next evolution of that technology? What, what happened from a technical perspective with LLMs and the image generators? I think it works on many levels. The machine learning, the actual computers are now at a capacity and uh, at a level of technology, the hardware is able to calculate and, and learn and have this memory. But then there's the data set is now growing. And so it's learned the natural language of humans. It's consumed enough data to understand how we think, how to take commands and how to give us the result of those commands. And I would also say, we're maybe at a time in our own evolution, not just technology's evolution, but the human's evolution to interact with this kind of technology in a way that's helpful. And I would even say, you know, over the course of my time, you know, since the beginning of Jasper, two and a half years ago, you know, the conversation has evolved. Our ability to work with AI has evolved. So the overall consciousness of humans is evolved. This is what's interesting is it was almost like a magic trick when we first started marketing Jasper. It was like, hey, come on and sign up for our tool and we will have this mythical AI thing, create your ad copy. And now everybody recognizes that that's like a normal thing now through ChatGPT, which just shows you how fast this has really taken off even in the last six months. Now we're figuring out how to be prompt engineers. How do we give directions to an AI in a way that it understands our direction? And then we figure out how to formulate it in a way that's better received and increases the quality of output. Now, this is like basically training humans how to be great directors of their own life, but directors in their company, directors for other people. 
you know, we've always said, this is not just a new AI thing. The worse your directions, the worse your team's output. Now that's being applied to AI. If you give your assistant really poor directions, your assistant's not going to do a good job. And that's not their blame. That's your blame as a boss. And so now what we've kind of developed is this how to give directions in a way that's received well and understood through written word. Um, so it's both training the AI, but also training us. And I think it's interesting also that the language itself, if I think of like the, say, ChatGPT versus the image generators, right? And my background is in writing. And so I've always had a lot better in working with ChatGPT than getting the usage that out of like Dolly or Stable Diffusion, I can never get the images that I want out of it. And it's been interesting, as you said, kind of training, because I know there's starting to be like those guides and those booklets that have come out. And so now if I ever try to create an image, I've got the booklet open right next to me saying, okay, I want it to kind of be this. And oh, great. That's the words I want to be using. And so those tool sets are starting to be more helpful in, in, in being out there. And something I do think is interesting also, as you said, kind of, is we're seeing this kind of explosion being this kind of director. I see that generative AI coming on so quickly is happening in, in two very distinct ways. Like one is this whole broad scale adoption, right? We've seen all the graphs and so forth of generative, of chat GPT, you know, 10 million, a hundred million users at, you know, five days or a hundred or whatever, these mind numbingly fast adoptions. The other is actually producing product and solution revenue. So actually real money being made because people want it and actually being able to use it. What do you think is actually, and this is not me being negative on these, but just a different, what do you think makes this moment different than say blockchain and metaverse, you know, the last kind of big waves we were seeing that didn't necessarily see that level of adoption or that level of, you know, revenue versus now? I think it works on a few fold. First is it's visual. Can you visualize the blockchain? I look, I'm a big believer as well in blockchain, crypto, all of that, yet this was so much easier for me to grasp. I get it. I can get it in seconds. In fact, my mom can get it in seconds. She can understand the, the value of it. She can't understand the value of blockchain despite me setting up her Coinbase like four years ago. Uh, she still doesn't understand why I need it, how it works. And so we instantly understand the value of it as well. I get that I answered that question concisely, well-roundedly, and through a lot of intelligence, uh, a lot of understanding from multiple sources kind of combined together to give me this grand output. It also is impressive. So uh, as a professional copywriter and marketer in general, I'm impressed with the copy that AI can generate. And, you know, of course we can have influence over that. We can give it you know, direction. So I can ask it to do for copywriting formulas that I know of, you know, that are known in advertising really. And it can deliver that because it knows the formulas. What ends up happening is I just have to be able to prompt it to give me that formula. And, you know, so it's kind of turned language into a programming tool. Like uh, it's understood as like, it's a math equation, <laughs> which is really cool. You know, it's also the time to value. If, if something takes a long time for us to receive value from it, it's hard to get it sticky and, and make it you know, a part of our routine in our lives. This is as easy as signing up and within two minutes, you can give it a prompt. Within a second, it'll reply. Look at the, the UI UX experiment of 
chat GPT. Because look, OpenAI has been around for years and has never caught the headwind, uh, the, the tailwind that it has today. It's because they turned it into a chat. We've even been around, you know, for two years, two and a half years. And it wasn't until a chat, the time to value was near immediate instead of using a template, instead of being inside of a document. It was the UI UX of a chat that made humans understand I'm having a conversation. And so that is such an interesting design principle is the time to value is just the framing. Oh, I'm going to have a conversation with something that's an AI. So I will send one message and it'll reply with a response. So to summarize, I think there's three reasons why it's taken a big tidal wave of attention. One, the time to value is very fast. We're talking two minutes or less. There's no signing up and learning an API or anything like that. Two, it's practically useful and everybody can understand instantly why it's useful in their daily life. It's broadly applicable because uh, whether you're in marketing, whether you're a creative, uh, whether you're even in finance, I asked it to do cash on cash return for my Airbnb here in Austin. And I uploaded my Airbnb earnings and it gave me a, a CAC return. So it can understand these directions. So it's instantly useful as well. You know, I, I think there's so many things going for it. And here's the amazing thing. Generative AI is at the worst it's ever going to be. This very moment, it's the worst it's ever going to be. It's only getting better. It's only getting smarter. It's only getting easier to use. It's coming everywhere, and it's going to be a part of our daily lives, not always like where you have to sign up for it, but in the background of the tools you already use. Austin, I think you're absolutely right. It's clear that ChatGPT delivers answers in a format that us humans are used to taking them, as opposed to the typical search engine, which gives you the list of other websites where you could then begin to go and find it out. But I want to turn a little bit towards Jasper specifically, because you guys have an interesting company with an interesting history. So tell me the origin story about Jasper AI. Yeah. So Jasper, the origin team started, gosh, probably eight years ago. Dave, Chris, and JP were running their marketing agency. So they are professional marketers and they understood you know, what great marketing looks like. And then they started to solve that same problem in other ways. They created courses, then they built a community. And then, you know, and so that's kind of where I entered. And then they've created three other software companies focused on helping marketers. And over time, continuing to serve the same audience, we discovered through Y Combinator, OpenAI and all of this. And eventually we started teaching the AI how to do great marketing. You know, following David Ogilvy's principles, the copywriter's handbook, teaching it formulas, and ultimately all of our example work of our best stuff. Here's what converted after spending millions on advertising. Here's our winning ads, our winning emails, blog posts, et cetera. And creating basically, so examples, frameworks, rules, and then it started performing really well for us. We had a Facebook group where... Uh, we basically would help create copy with AI for other people. And then they said, well, I need it to write our Amazon listing copy because we're an e-commerce store. Or we need a, an email follow-up sequence. We need 
uh, social media content, a blog post. And so that developed the use cases. And every single one of these use cases was unique and different, different rules, different judgments on what's good and what's not good. And so over the course of now two and a half years, we've developed the best AI for business with a wide range of use cases. And all of those we just mentioned, plus like 50 more judged against performance. So SEO performance, originality, creativity, branding capacity for your uniqueness. So generative AI with Jasper doesn't have to be generic. It can be in your tone of voice with your brand. And you can teach it knowledge and specialized information that remains private for your company, but it's like basically your knowledge base on what do your products do, what makes them different, how you stand out against the competition. And so now your personal assistant, Jasper, can write intelligently about your company um, with performance in mind, with like still really creative, eye, you know, eye-popping, jaw-dropping copy that gets people to click, engage, buy. And then we look at collaboration. You know, you want not just to go to, you know, an app and chat with it, but you would rather have it integrate into all your tools and you would want it available inside of Salesforce, Gmail. If you're, you know, using WordPress or Webflow to build your website, you want to be able to write copy in those tools. If you're writing blog posts, you want it inside of Google Docs. And so Jasper works inside of all of those, of course. And so, yeah, we just really take like a team first approach, naturally, seamlessly integrated into all your tools and it's on brand for your company. That was one of the interesting things a while back, many moons ago, of course, I did a lot of work in direct marketing and I loved the fact being numbers oriented that we could test these things. Now with what you guys have developed, you're kind of turning that on its head because you're putting the formulas in first and then deriving the product coming out of it, which is great. You mentioned there's a lot of other problems that Jasper AI can be applied to. What are some of the, I don't want to say most popular problems that you guys are, are seeing your customers look at? Yeah. So the most popular is content improvement. So you come in with your own copy that you've written. And sometimes that's really just a content brief. It's not even like high resolution. It's, it's kind of like raw. And when you enter using the AI, you're more thinking, I either want to get the ball rolling. I'm lost for thought. I'm facing writer's block and I need to get the ball rolling. Or I've already gotten the ball rolling and I've hit a wall, a creative wall, or I need a an assistant to review my work, to give critical feedback, to improve it in many capacities. Something I'll do, for example, is, you know, I'm a guy in a busy startup, got a lot of work on my plate, uh, and I'm trying to get, you know, written copy for all these campaigns and review my teammates' performance and things like that. So with someone who's strapped for time, you could do is just write the email kind of frankly, uh, as you would want to say it and then say, Hey Jasper, can you make this more empathetic or Hey Jasper, can you make this more creative, more funny? I'll do my, uh, emails in the tone of voice of Jerry Seinfeld. And that tends to go over well, you know, it's not like humor that's outright funny, but it's enough to like get you to be like, that's clever. That, that was fun to read. Oh, come on. As a, as a writer, you know, 
humor is the hardest thing in the world to write. It just is. How does Jasper offer their products to their customer base? Is it subscription model? Is it by the interaction? What's your model? Yeah. So the model is basically you pay per user and the more people you add on your team, the more license to the seats that you get. And there's features that are like more for enterprise and really just focused on like their kind of goals. But there's a really easy entry point price point. I think it starts as low as 29. The most popular is 59 bucks a month. And then there's like business plans and stuff, but it's really accessible and it's focused though on the practical business use cases. When you use Jasper, you're looking for an ROI. When you use Jasper, you're looking for the admin control and the creativity and like the on-point brand functionality that you would expect out of a business tool. This is not where you're going to create your own family recipes. This is not where you're going to ask it to generate a workout routine or, you know, to summarize your private journal. Uh, this is for, for business. Okay. A lot of what you've talked about in describing the story and how you guys got here sounds to me, and I'm not the greatest expert in the world on generative AI, but a lot of it sounds like your customers are creating their own training material to train Jasper on their brand voice and their specific issues. So I guess the, the easy question is, how much of what I would bring to the table as a customer is going to be me training Jasper to do the work? And how are you guys connected to existing you know, open AI and other LLM type models to at least come up with a starting point? Yeah, so the Jasper AI engine actually has a lot of layers to it. And so OpenAI, we are very fond of them. <laughs> They're one of our biggest, uh, most important models that help Jasper. And, you know, we have a multi-year contract with them. You know, we, we help understand how to use the AI. We bring awareness of practical use cases. And so it's really hard to train like a large language model on these individual, like how do you write a, a viral tweet thread? Or what would success look like for a direct response Facebook ad? And so we are genuinely partners in that way. Like we have a Slack, Slack channel that we're always talking with them in. And so it's a very friendly relationship. It's non-competitive, but we're not fully reliant on them. We, we have like a pretty large AI team ourselves. And so building that model, we also have our other partners, Anthropic, Cohere, and between them, so you know, if you look at Jasper's uptime, it's very high because we're not reliant on one AI to have that stability that companies are looking for. They're looking for that always on AI that they can have their app rely on. So if you're using the Jasper API, it's not only relying on open AI. Uh, there's the whole Jasper AI engine is a mixture. As you could say, it's like a, they're an ingredient in the recipe. Uh, among that AI engine, you would also have, you know, your language translation. So we work in over 30 languages. So let's say that you have a team all around the world. They can either write in their own native tongue, that's easier, uh, and then translate that. Or they can, you know, write in English and export in a new language. And so you're trying to go and enter a new market. Like, I'm trying to open up the German market. How do I write a landing page in German? And so that's like an example of another layer of the AI engine. 
Then you have comprehension, conciseness, originality. We have a plagiarism checker built in, grammar. We acquired outright, which is a very well-known Chrome extension you add to your browser and it helps correct and improve your grammar. So there's that involved in the AI engine. And then ultimately your brand voice level. Now that level of the pie is for your account only. So when you think about, like if I were to upload all of our documents for a company so it understood all about us, no one else's AI is going to learn from that. It's only yours. Okay, makes a lot of sense. This is your AI. It, there's a base understanding. And then when you're logged in your account and you're on a business plan and you're uploading all your, your company information, your brand style guide, your products, and each of your audiences, now it's starting to learn and starting to cater content, reading that before it writes. I have a quick question though on that though. So there's, there's the brand style. Like obviously I don't want to be sharing that amongst the different customers and you have the underlying of OpenAI and Anthropic, but how does Jasper's set learn across the customers? Obviously there's that, you know, there's the federated data and you want to be able to learn from what they're doing to be able to offer better tools kind of across the board. So how do you balance those pieces? Yeah. So a Jasper, like your data is not the product. It doesn't get distributed, sold, or even used to influence the other customers on our platform. Your usage is kind of contained to, to your account. When you look at what OpenAI and maybe these base AIs are, they are going to have their own privacy policy. And I won't speak for them, but the content used within Jasper is trained only for your account. There are A-B tests that are run where the model is always being trained on for performance to say, was this version of the model more or less effective? Did it get the result you wanted more or less? Those are the kind of training data that you could say, but it's not learning information like knowledge. What it's doing is programming the tolerance of the model to perform better for you. Um, and so that's how, you know, the quality of the output of Jasper is really, really high is because we're running a lot of A-B tests all the time. And so when you give that thumbs up or thumbs down on the output that says, Hey model, good behavior or bad behavior. If you did not copy the output, which is a sign of that you're about to use it. If you didn't like copy and paste it, that's bad behavior. Like the model didn't perform. It didn't give you the output that you wanted. But if you did copy it, that means that, hey, I like that enough that I'm going to save it to my clipboard. I'm about to use it, bring it into another tool or something like that. Use it as a, as a working point to continue on with. All right. So now I'm going to hit you with the hard question. Okay. A couple of months back, Dave was talking about your raise. You guys raised $100 million. And he says, well, we're sitting on, I'm not going to quote him directly. He's like, we're sitting on this big stack of cash. And we'd look to acquire some great companies or some great people. So come on down. Okay. Now, the question, I guess, is twofold. One, what are the pieces that you're looking at? What do we should we expect next out of Jasper? And now that OpenAI has started talking about, you know, an API and plugins and lots of room for others to be playing in the same lake, if you will. 
does that put you more in competition, at least for companies and people, talent, basically, to start building these add-ons and these new capabilities? Yeah, it's a great question. So we raised $125 million at a $1.5 billion valuation that was raised this past summer. And since then, Jasper's had a ton of growth and we've grown the team as well. So when we first raised, I think we we're a little less than 50 people. And now we're well over 200. Many of these are engineers, support team, a mix of like mostly product. So front-end product and back-end product, AI engineers. So you're looking at a lot of output coming out soon, if not already. Like you look at our shipped and it's like every day there's something new shipped. The rate of innovation is really insane in the industry right now. We had a call yesterday with my team and I was like, this is insane. Like our, our, it's hard to even feel like you're in the know when you're in like the fastest growing AI company right now. It's hard to even stay in the know when you're in the know. And that's what's crazy. Every day there's like five headlines of even like keeping up with the whole Microsoft and Google, you know, battle that's happening. It's hard to get a grasp on like all of that unless you're like a journalist and that's your job to like every day just be reading and consuming. When we're heads down, we're building. With that said, a few innovations that you can look forward to uh, are really like threefold. There's three pillars Jasper is focused on over the next 12 months. Building our brand voice capabilities, making it basically marketing and sales campaigns seamless. We want to think in the mind of marketers. When you go and if you were to hire an agency, a lot of agencies use Jasper. It's like one of our biggest audiences. They consume their client info, or if you're a brand, upload your client, upload your own info. And now you can train the model once in your account and it generates high quality on brand outputs. Layer two, Jasper does not need to be contained in its own ecosystem, its own tab. Now Jasper can be everywhere. With the browser extensions, you can now add Jasper to Chrome and use it inside of Gmail or any other tab. Like I was using it uh, in HubSpot yesterday. And so, yes, now it's available on the other side of, of your keyboard. Just do command J and write your prompt. <laughs> and then you look at collaboration, admin, all of that stuff. The things you would need to scale, saving projects and performance and all of those things. You look at our API comes out like in the next 10 days. And so look at that. You know, a lot of companies will be building on that. We're building a tech partner e ecosystem. It's a mixture of many AIs, as I, as I said. So we're agnostic to any particular AI. And we are, tr are building a performance layer on top of the existing AIs that you see today, making it for business. So those are our three pillars of what Jasper is going to be, you know, all functionality revolves around those. And, you know, we just did a hackathon. I'm excited to see what came out of that. Basically, we had like 80 engineers in Salt Lake City. They were actually building within like 48 hours all of the ideas that they've kind of been sitting on and they just went and built them, you know, blindfolds on and just like go and do it. And uh, that's really exciting to see just the the energy that's kind of happening inside the company. It's infectious. It's fun. It's, I feel like I'm on the fringe of innovation every day. Well, there's an interesting thing you just said that just kind of 
I realized when you said you were using it in HubSpot, you and your team probably are in a unique position at a company like Jasper, because obviously as the head of marketing, you're obviously trying to get it out there, but at the same time, you represent the customer in a way that unlike other companies, you're like, yeah, I probably want to be using Jasper AI to be marketing Jasper. And so this is a real unique case of eating the dog food. So I'd be curious how that role is probably very different than in other companies. Yeah. So we, a core value of Jasper's brand, and that goes into our marketing, it goes into our customer service, it goes into our product and development, is that Jasper is the practical business version of AI. And so every day we are building our own practical use cases for in our daily workflow. We're coming up with a campaign. Great. Where does AI fit into this? And when is human involvement versus AI involvement? When does the baton get passed? And sometimes it's more like a, a soccer field instead of a relay race. So the soccer field is I dribble, pass. The AI dribbles, passes back to me. And so that's really this kind of dance that we're discovering. We're also able to give feedback on our own product. And so our engineers interview our team internally and say, hey, is this, does this prototype solve the need? And so we're able to have that kind of fast turnaround time, which is why you see our development is so fast. We also have a huge community of marketers, like 100,000 people are in the group and they, their voice is pretty loud in our product development. This is how we've always built product is that they help inspire the ideas and needs from the product team. And our engineers are in that group. They're listening. They're reading the comments. Uh, and so a customer first approach instead of like being all fancy about AI technology, we're all about like fancy AI outputs. We want the outputs to be cool, really, really good. However we get there doesn't quite matter. Of course it matters, but like we don't need to get caught up in the stake. We want the sizzle. We want to know that it performs. And so that's kind of how we like think about it internally in our own team and our marketing team, because we do eat our own dog food. So Austin, I got to ask you a question that ends with a question about Austin. You guys just did like, Four weeks ago, five weeks ago, a great AI, a generative AI conference, and everything we read about it says was smashing success, and it was in the Bay Area. Austin, why wasn't this in Austin? <laughs> well, you know, the amount of technology that's built in Silicon Valley and just kind of the ecosystem is currently there. And we're, one, we built that conference in 60 days. Kind of insane from a conversation with an investor, like don't do it in six months from now, do it in six weeks from now kind of thing. We did it on Valentine's Day because that was the only day that the venue in San Francisco had. It's not like we, we wanted that, but it was what was available. I'm sure there were a lot of significant others that were upset about that. They were, but we had Jasper write them love letters. So that worked out well. <laughs> there's, there's a new, found a new use case. Yeah, exactly. And so, yeah, I mean, we are actually right now in conversation with venues about next year's conference, but basically we are just thinking, how can we create a sold out conference and not a meetup? I'm talking to 1200 people showed up on an inconvenient day on a Tuesday, Valentine's day. So we had to make sure that travel wasn't 
part of the plan. It's a one day event. And so where does, you know, it look like on the map that 1200 people can show up on an inconvenient day and talk about generative AI. Also, what's unique about that conference is who was it for? It was for people interested in the subject and that's a wide range of audience. So among the audience, 10% were our current employees. We had roughly 20% were customers. Another 10% were journalists. And then maybe 20% were prospective companies coming to learn about the AI space. So like, for example, LinkedIn's executive team was there. And so then there's like a lot of, you know, conversations that we're having from, you know, enterprise value looking at us as a secured solution. Then you have, you know, developers and product people that are interested in the generative AI space. We had a lot of prospective employees. So like Jasper's just this magnet for amazing talent right now. And with all the layoffs happening in like non-AI sectors, uh, we kind of look at it as like, this is a yard sale. This is amazing. Uh, the people that we're attracting to our company are like, you know, dream all-stars. And like, I just got to hire my own boss. She's incredible. Megan was at HubSpot, the VP there. And so like getting to be in a place today where we're surrounding ourselves, like the core, the original team is surrounding ourselves with like the most successful, talented, multi-year veterans in software in, in the B2B SaaS software world and understand how to build this machine to be practical for large companies. So I want to kind of step back a minute now and think about Jasper as being one of the, the, the unicorns in the Austin ecosystem and kind of look at that from the lens of how we think about the innovation in the region. So you're not alone in creating the application or that kind of abstraction layer on top of deep tech, whether it be AI, quantum, or genomics, or just a couple of the examples that are going on here. How do you think that positions our ecosystem as being that kind of abstraction layer rather than the developer of that deep technology? Well, something I know about Austin, Texas is it is pretty great weather year round. And a lot of people here are family oriented. It's like almost like lifestyle and family tend to, you know, as a core value come before work in a good way, in a healthy way. Yet there's a level of ambition and intelligence that is magnetized to this city as well. And so what you get is a really interesting culture. Um, the culture of our startup ecosystem as of right now, we are also attracting a lot of Californians and, and people from New York and Miami right now as well. Like there, there's an influx of, you know, new personas coming to Austin, you know, but I think there's a lot of like marketing creative focus in Austin. A lot of that second layer of using deep tech with like usable, functional, the business like application on top of deep tech. And so yeah, I mean, I think that we, if we are trying to be more like Silicon Valley, it'll be, well, remote, remote work culture has really helped that. I would say we are lucky that that has kind of happened where Silicon Valley kind of got broken up. New York kind of got broken up where it doesn't have, you don't have to be there to be super successful as a developer. And now you can kind of be anywhere and you can buy a house and you can build a family. And that's honestly why after Y Combinator, we moved to Austin, Texas, instead of staying in the Valley, 
is because we wanted all those things I just mentioned. Yet when I look at you know our own team at Jasper, we have about 225 employees. Austin is home to 40 to 50 of them. So one fourth of the company, a lot of them, I would say 50 to 60 are in Salt Lake City. Then you look at, you know, the Bay Area and then kind of spread all over. And then we have, you know, via acquisitions, uh, our team in uh, Sydney. Yeah. So kind of just growing throughout the U.S. But core would be those three, Austin, Salt Lake and San Francisco. And that's a great kind of segue into the kind of next question I was looking at here in terms of talent. What is it, you know, what's the core that's here? What are you guys getting from Salt Lake? And then what is the strength from a talent that you guys are, are, are seeing here? And what do you think we need more of? I think we need more in Austin of backend engineers, you know, that are like very development focused. A lot of them live on Jasper's team in Salt Lake City, or they're just purely remote. And, you know, they're kind of spread all over the whole U.S., like all throughout the East Coast and kind of random cities, which is, which is interesting. Like things I wouldn't expect uh, after, you know, all of this. Not that I'm telling you to poach from here, and I'm just, this is my own back, but, it, back, but like our Dell and Apple and Google, like the, the big techs that are here, is that not, and this is my own, is that not the talent that's here? It may not be. I, I, don't, I don't know. That's why I'm asking. Well, it depends on what kind of, what level of company that you're building. I think that it takes a unique energy to be in a fast paced startup, especially like AI. It takes an agility that has to be like part of your nature to be agile. And if you're looking for a stable, large company, like they're here like Dell, like go to Oracle, go to Indeed or any of those like big, big companies. If you're looking for an exciting new project and something launched yesterday and now you have to react today and you have to build something and you know, you're kind of expected to tinker and you're expected to like be on the fringe of innovation, that requires a different type of a person. And uh, it's more of an inventor. And so Austin, Texas is very entrepreneurial as a city. And so I think that's where a lot of startups are, you see kind of popping up, but I don't know how many, because I'm just not even there. I'm not even in the ecosystem of a large company. So uh, I haven't seen, you know, what level of, of developers are in Austin for that type of company, because we're not really attracting the corporate type of uh, talent. Well, Austin... That makes a perfect segue into our last question. Austin Distal of Jasper AI, really appreciate you coming on. And what's next for Austin? <laughs> well, I just built a home near South Congress. And so this has been exciting right now as this interview is happening. Infrared sauna is getting built in my backyard. So I'm excited to uh, do that in a cold plunge this summer. So I'd be on Ladybird Lake paddleboarding. And um you know, outside of that, I want to be hosting uh, AI meetups, bringing together this community of people that are really interested in generative AI, whether we go and meet up at Lazarus on the East 6th Street or we host a conference and, you know, we choose an Austin local venue. You know, I was just over at Soho House during South by Southwest and we had uh, a panel on generative AI and what it means for advertising. So these are the kind of things that we can be really, you know, Together, like we can grow the ecosystem. I think right now it's fragmented. 
I would like to see more glue happen. I'm happy to raise my hand to help make that happen and reach out to me on Instagram, Austin Distal. And like, if you're in Austin, Texas, like let's throw something. And um, either at the Jasper HQ, right off of Bee Caves by Zilker Park, like any of this, we, we have like a, a cool community we can build together. What's interesting about the generative AI ecosystem is everyone's innovating together, but privately. They're coming out of stealth mode. They're tinkering at night. And so nobody really understands, like, are we competitors? Are we partners? Are we not even related? And really, I think it can be all. You know, Jasper's always thinking, do we buy or build or partner? And like, it could be any of those. And like, we're super open to all conversations. And I also believe this is a wave that's only growing. Today, this generative AI is the smallest it'll ever be. Like it's growing. It's going to be part of our ecosystem more and more and more. And so that just means that there's more opportunity. It's not like, you know, us growing is taking from their growing or them growing is taking from us growing. I think actually we're all going to make each other better. So that's why I would love to get into the same room. Let's have conversations. Let's make our products better together and maybe team up. That kind of collaboration is exactly what Austin needs and has done so well in the past. Austin Distal, Jasper AI, thank you so much for being on the Austin Next Podcast. Thanks for having me. So what's next, Austin? We're glad you've joined us on this journey. Please subscribe at your favorite podcast catcher. Leave us a review and let your colleagues know about us. This will help us grow the podcast and continue bringing you unique interviews and insights. Thanks again for listening and see you soon.